you know, people always ask me, what's it like to work for Martha when she's such a perfectionist? And I say, well, we were all perfectionists. And we, we, had, we all had that drive, like, within us. And that's why we were there. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Susan Spungen is an author, food stylist, and real food media legend. She was the founding editor at Martha Stewart and has worked in television and film, including once teaching Meryl Streep how to flip an omelet. On this episode, we hear about 1980s New York and her job interview with Martha Stewart. We also talk about her great new book, Veg Forward, and why tomatoes will always be our favorite vegetable. Or is it a fruit? I hope you enjoy this conversation with Susan Spungen. Susan Spungen, welcome to This Is Taste. Thanks for having me. So cool to see you. And I feel like I met you at Elaine Ducasse restaurant 15 years ago, but maybe not. Maybe I don't think so. This I is, would remember. I'm good with faces. The, yeah, I appreciate it. And um, I knew you because I knew who you were and you were a charismatic, you are a charismatic person. And honestly, um, you've been an absolute leader in food editorial. Um, and your name alone says something um, about food styling, says something about our direction. You know how to bring these these things together. Um, you're bold, you're polished. Um, those are two words I think um, are specific. What else are you? What else am I? Um, oh, gosh, now you really are putting me on the spot. What else am I? It's always, it's always so hard for me to have perspective on myself because, you know, it, it's such a, a wide-ranging industry, and sometimes I don't know exactly where I fit in. But what else am I? I definitely am honest. Um, that's one thing people always say. They're always like, wow, you really tell it like it is. And I'm not even, like, thinking I'm doing that. But I, I do. I speak my mind. Well, I mean, it's important when you're on set. Yeah. And we'll get into what a food stylist is a little bit and, and what you've done, which is not all your job, but you know, you've become um, known. You've worked in television and film as a food stylist. Yeah. But um, let me ask you, when you were the first food editor with Martha Stewart. Let's go back to that. I'd love to hear about the job interview. Yeah, that's actually a good question because that was kind of uh, a unique experience, you know, compared to the way things go now. Um, Things weren't vetted by, you know, dozens of people. Um, I, well, I had worked in the actual food industry as a chef, caterer for (laughs) like 10 to 12 years, working my way up from making sandwiches to um, being the chef of a, a, uh, what do you call it? prepared food yeah. place? Um, you know, I had a lot of different jobs, always avoiding the line because I, especially at that time, I just didn't think that was a good place for me or women in general, mm-hmm. which it wasn't at that time, which was quite a long Cannot time. Cannot imagine. Where were these places? What, what kind of spots were you? Well, I, I worked at a place called Fratelli Congiano, which is what is the restaurant Jane now on yeah. Houston Street. And it was kind of like right in between Dina DeLuca and Balducci's. And it was kind of right in between Dina DeLuca and Balducci's. It was a beautiful, big, shiny store. And I somehow kind of, I wouldn't say talked my way into that job because I did cook my way into it. I had to do a tryout, but I, I, you know, in those days you looked up jobs in the New York Times classified. And these are nineties we're talking about, right? Eighties. Wow. You look great. I mean, I, honestly, I don't, I'm not, I don't know your age and, and I didn't ask you, but <laughs> I'm thinking nineties, but this is eighties on Houston. Late eighties. Late eighties on Houston. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, I would, you know, scour the classifieds looking for something that didn't sound like 
something I couldn't do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I literally was always looking for something that looked a little bit unique. And I uh, came across this job that uh, it said a, a chef for this prepared food store. And I'd already done a ton of catering and, yeah. and little things here and there and managed food restaurant on Prince Street. You which, managed the restaurant food? I did. I did. I was one of the managers, which meant I paid everyone in cash at the end of the night and fired people if necessary. So it wasn't like, yeah. I that is the legendary restaurant. Tell, tell our listeners about food because food is a restaurant that is in the annals of history. It's true. Written about in United States of Arugula by David Camp and many others. True. Well, I worked there in the post-co-op area era. Um, it had was started by the artist Gordon Mana Clark, and it was literally like there was nowhere to eat in Soho. So imagine that, and all of the artists need like a canteen. So they all got together and just started cooking, which was an art form in and of itself. And um, and then later they sold it, and someone bought it and tried to make it into a commercial enterprise, which it was for a while. And that's when I worked there. Okay. It was my very first job in New York. I was trying to get a waitress job, but I really wasn't like the actress-waitress type, which is what they hired yeah. back then. And Because I just thought that would make more money. That's all I cared about was making money at that point. And, um, and I walked in there all dejected and got a bowl of soup. And uh, and there was a sign in the window saying help on it. Do you remember the type of soup? I Lentil, don't. I bean. don't remember the soup, right, cool. which is unusual because yeah. I remember a lot of the people I ladled soup for yeah. over the like years. Like Warhol? Actually, not Warhol, but probably Basquiat, although yeah. I don't think I even knew who he was yeah. then. But definitely Meryl Streep, Tom Brokaw, lots of other people. And um, people I recognized from the cafe I had been working at in Aspen. I know I'm really like complicating things. Here. No, it's your history. But is it cool. was weird. It was like the same crossroads. Like I had the same customers at this cafe I worked in Aspen. That- well, it was a very unconnected culture. I mean, we we, didn't, we weren't online at all. Right. So it was like you had to remember faces and names. And Gordon Mata Clark. I mean, there was a retrospective I think at PS One about his work and 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 what food represented. And did yeah. you have interaction with Gordon? Oh no, no. I think he had died before I even worked there. But in the year, and I don't really think I, even though I had been an art student, which is what was my original goal, um, I didn't really know who he was until later. And, um, but, you know, it still had that, it still had this very community vibe and it was all artists, dancers, writers who worked there. So it was really a fun place to work. It must have been great. And then, so let's fast forward to this Martha Martha question because I love the the, the history of, Susan, your your professional career, but you're you're sitting across the table from Martha Stewart who... Not a table. We were sitting in her yard, actually. I was still catering. In Bedford, was she? No, 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 in the Hamptons. She lived in in Westport then, but she had just bought a house in East Hampton. I was out there catering for the summer with a small catering company and I had like employee housing. So I was like, (laughs) I'm not kidding. And I would stay out there during the week so I could like, you know, use the van to go out to restaurants and and go to the beach. I was like, oh, great. Free summer in the Hamptons. And I just get to work Friday, Saturday and Sunday, which I did. And um, and I had met uh, Susan Magrino, her still publicist a year before. She used to work at Potter right Mm -hmm. here. Well, Crown back yeah. then. Yep. And um, she, um, I had met her socially a year before. I gave her my phone number. Okay. She gave me her card, which I still have somewhere. And a year later, she just called me up and said, Martha is starting a magazine. Do you want to meet her? Those, that's what I remember her saying. And I was like, well, yeah, sure. So, um, so we set up a time. She said, well, here's Martha's number. Call her. And I was like, 
<laughs> I was really nervous. And this is early 2000s, right? Around 20, no, this was this was 1989. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I got I'm like a decade off. I'm sorry. No, no, I, no. I'm that's okay. We're still in the 80s okay, here. Okay, wow. Susan, or maybe okay. 90. Because okay. what happened was she um we met. She kind of just like was checking me out. And then she said, Well, we're doing a shoot here next week. Come by. And I've come with my knives and my apron, and I ended up um, ironing, ironing a duvet cover all day long. Wow. Um, it was a little shoot, like, in uh, her daughter Alexis's cottage, which they had just built, and it was nothing about food at all. And I think she—that's how she was. She was just like, just come by. You no, know? it's the best. I mean, and she's throwing you into it. Had you been on a set? Had you been uh, at photo shoots? Only one time when, wow. when one of the caterers I worked for— uh, we were doing this thing with the store Henry Bendel, which never doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But um, I had created all these crazy things like, well, I'm really jumping around, but Bendel brownies. So they were like brown yeah. and white striped brownies. Yeah. So I did like a shoot with a photographer. So you had a little bit of food stylings. Not course, much. But you're thrown into the world of Martha Stewart in, in the in the late 80s, really rising to power at that point, Martha Stewart. Oh, yeah. I mean, not even. And so I did that shoot. And then she said, well, come to in a few weeks, we're going to do a cookie shoot or, mm. you know, I don't know. It was a month later, two months later, uh, we're going to do cookies. And I thought, oh, okay, that's something I can do. Yeah. And and they were like, just you come send me the recipes. I'm like, okay. Oh my I, gosh. I just agreed to everything. Her, to her sister, her, her late sister, Laura, um, was helping her and she was like, can you just like send me 10 recipes? And I was wow. like, uh, there was no kitchen. There was no, these were the test issues. So this was like very yeah, the test issues yeah, and trying to figure issues. out what Martha Stewart living the magazine looked like. And, and Susan, you're, you <laughs> would rise to become the, the first food editor there, but they're like testing you out by right. give us 10 cookie recipes. Well, something like that. And then and then I had to fax them and I had to go to a police and pay to fax them. Yeah. And then I was like, you'll reimburse me for the faxes, right? And they're like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> at least they were frank and at least you asked the question. I mean, it's it's a great story that you're, you're thrown into the mix and, and, and it really is how a lot of jobs happen. I mean, in, to this day. Yeah, but it still didn't happen yet. Okay. So uh, then I went to... Um, a job did not materialize. I was hoping a job would materialize somehow, but I, I just was going going with the flow. And um, like I said, I, my interview with Martha was in her in her yard in East Hampton, where she had just built a house, and um, it was just like a meet and greet, really. And then I went. So when nothing materialized, a job came up at Coco Pazzo, which was a big restaurant opening at the time. Pino Longo, yeah. who was a huge restauranter at the time. He, um, well, Mark Strausman actually was the chef and um, he hired me as the pastry chef. Someone recommended him to me, someone I knew who was selling bread for Eli Zabar. And, you know, it was, that's how things were done then. Definitely. Like the vendors were really big at like connecting chefs and restaurants. And, you know, there were a lot of like the guy from DeBrag and Spittler is famous for connecting yeah. chefs with their jobs. Still a bit so, today, I would say. I mean, we, we can definitely yeah. we can drop into DMs and get get people's info now. It's much easier. But exactly. definitely it still is feels like a bit of a cottage industry, the food media world, right. trying to get people setting up, especially like on the freelance tip, right? Like yeah, this, for sure. The person and that person. But Connections that, are still really yeah, important. Yeah. Always. Um, so I I, they offered me this job, and I thought, well, it seems like a really cool restaurant, and um, I so I took it, and uh, and we pretty quickly got three stars. Brian Miller, who was the reviewer yeah. of the New York Times, on va- was on vacation or on leave, so it was Marion Burroughs, and she uh, loved the restaurant and gave it three stars, which was like 
Brian Miller never gave Italian restaurants yeah. three stars. So that that was and I and the desserts got a really special. And you got a name check in the Times. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. good. I, I think she said at Coco Pazzo, desserts are important. Oh that's good. And I was like. You can, you can still look up the review, but it was something like that. Yeah. And I was just like, I was kind of on cloud nine because I was, wow, the New York Times, that is so cool. Totally. And, um, but I only lasted six, nine months because I, after that, after the review, I said, well, I want to go to five days a week from six. Yeah. For the summer, okay? Right. And they were like, no. And I was like, well, then I quit. <laughs> because I just, I was like, I'm not going to work six days a week. I, I had already taken a share in a house. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, dude. I, how, not, am I, how am I going to do that with one day off? So, um, so and around, around the same time, I mean, I'm kind of conflating things. Things were moving with the Martha job. Yeah. People were calling me. I had already met everyone. Martha would come in for dessert I, for dinner at Coco Pot, so I'd bring her ni- a nice warm apple tart and go out to her table and wearing my chef's coat, mm-hmm. right? This is stuff people don't know about me, maybe, that I, I actually wore That's, whites, right? Let, let, no, I mean, you have a real professional background, and, and I want to continue talking about the the, the, the the job, but, like, what is Martha really like? What is working <laughs> with her really so like? So many people ask what is hang- what is she really like? No, tr- for I real. Think Martha is exactly what you think. <laughs> wow, Susan, way to throw it back at me. Okay. She um, is a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes she's so nice and wonderful. And sometimes she was challenging to work with, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I learned so much from being there. It was obviously a hugely important uh, time in my life. It, the, the seminal job that I had, you know, somebody who is just working their way up, like cooking, like anybody else. I had a really fantastic opportunity to have, like, make a career. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you go from working and making a, an hourly um, uh-huh. to, like, actually having exactly. a, a media executive job. Exactly. And then at a time when media... Exactly actually paid some bills. Oh, yeah. And then we went public, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, so, hey, you got some, sh- you got some <laughs> equity? Maybe. Okay, great. Good for you. But I, mean, I was a founder. That's what I was called there. Of course. No, yeah. and, and we're joking, but like, of course you deserve equity because you were the founding food editor of the magazine. And, you know, and that is super, super, un- I mean, look, a lot of people are, you know, making big bucks now through influencing and mm-hmm. best-selling books and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I had some nice opportunities opportunities early on and things that I never thought I would, you know, get beyond punching a clock. And I did. So, so let's fast forward. How long were you at the magazine? And and just like give, give us a sense. You know, this is uh, early 90s we're talking about. Right. And like this is a definitely are you pasting up still? Are you I mean, you're using computers, you're using Apple. Uh, no. Well, yeah, we were using computers, but I don't even think we had email. Wait, I'm trying to I th- we had like inner office yeah. email. Right. But I don't, I had a Rolodex. Right. I don't think we, I mean, I remember when Gail Towie, our creative director, said that we were starting a website, which must have been like 94 or I'm something. sure you were on America Online. I was like never keyword. on. I was never or on the, AOL. Or the publication was had a keyword on America Online. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. But but Gail said, um, I, she said, we're starting a website. And I said, what's a website? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> if that gives you any insight into where we were t- with technology. And I really, did, I had heard the word, but I wasn't sure exactly what it was. And since we were doing it, 
um, I I needed to understand. Well, what what are we? What is it? What are we doing? So tell me about what's the doing of like the photo shoot. Say you're doing, for example, like a 16 page package about um, barbecuing or grilling. Yeah. What's it like in the early 90s to do this shoot? Because you don't have Dropbox, you don't have G Drive, you oh, don't yeah. have, you know, there. It, it must have been much more labor intensive to do these shoots. Well, no, the shoot itself. Well, I mean, I guess going digital helped definitely streamline things yeah. on shoots because it just took more time. You were, um, well, first of all, they were always eight to 10 pages. We yeah. never did 16 pages, yeah. but, uh, it was either eight or 10, maybe 12. And, um, the actual shoot, you know, you did Polaroids, you yep. sent film out to the lab. If you were in the city in the middle of the shoot, yep. um, you know, it was, it was definitely a different process. So there were a little bit, I'd say there were more surprises and you ended up with less slickness than you have now because, you know, now people retouch food or yeah. put effects on it. It was very real. And that was the style that we kind of developed at Martha was food looking really real, looking like itself. But if you compare the photography then with the photography now, it's like it's really real because, you know, we just we didn't have the advantage of everyone staring at the screen and yeah. like finessing everything. Yeah, you, you're you shooting could, into a black box and you, you had to go could, to the chem lab. And a lot of people shot four by five, yeah. which you had to understand looking upside down and back. Yeah. If you were looking through the camera and then there'd be like a kind of fuzzy Polaroid that, you know, maybe you'd have to use a loop to yeah. see it in closely and then you'd wait for the film to come back. I mean, I worked in a, a newspaper in college. We, it was loops and paste up. Right. So it's so it was very, very different process. But um, mm -hmm. there's something great about that. Oh, my gosh. Way. Well, having both done both is really unique. Yeah, that's true. That you, now that's you're making true. books into 2023 and it's a much different experience. One more question about the Martha era. Yeah. You know, you got you were it was like the height of, of power for a magazine in true. the 90s. I mean, true. it was like the most lucrative time for for publishing. Um, but also, you know, Martha's uh, rising, um, you know, her pro profile on television. She's yeah. starting her company, became, went public, as you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, did you feel like you were really at the top as the food editor of Martha Stewart? Well, I don't think I really thought about it that way because for one thing, we were just so busy. We were just working our asses off all the time. And you know, so I think we all were just really driven by, uh, you know, people always ask me, what's it like to work for Martha? And she's such a perfectionist. And I say, well, we were all perfectionists. And we, we had, we all had that drive like within us. Yeah. And that's why we were there. So there was this amazing, like, kind of communal energy. Oh, absolutely. No, exactly what you're saying. And would you, would you rip up pages at the last minute because you weren't satisfied with art? Any of that stuff? That no, I mean, things like reshoots, because of this not digital yeah. world, analog world, um, it would be more maybe Martha didn't like it or s someone else who wasn't on the shoot didn't like it. So there would be sometimes reshoots, which were extremely expensive. I mean, it seemed like we had unlimited budget. So I went through the whole economic downturn from going from unlimited resources, which we mm -hmm. seemed to have in the beginning. And then when we went started, went public, we had to really start tighten the reins. And then the economic downturn, which I think happened after I had left mm -hmm. working for other magazines and, you know, everybody was just trying to squeeze blood from a stone. Yeah. It was like a very different experience. But no, sometimes things got reshot. But usually if you were on the shoot, you felt good about it. So this is the early 2000s we're getting into. Yeah. And before social media and viral recipes, give me a sense, Susan, is there a recipe 
that you developed mm-hmm. at the time that that was that was basically a viral recipe before viral recipes uh. that you got like letters and letters and letters or a Martha maybe went on the Today Show and and talked about it and then you it, it went big. <laughs> wow, this would have been something I would have thought more about. I don't feel like there was one because you couldn't really be viral then, right? It's not without social media. There's no real virality. Well, is there? well, yes and no. I disagree a little bit because I think at the time you know people wrote in. True. Right. And yes. like it's maybe a different form, but like if you get like eight letters or eight hundred letters. But those were usually the haters, right? <laughs> of course. The people who write yeah. are the haters. So True the enough. people who say, Oh, you shouldn't put sourdough in stuffing. I remember someone writing that to me when really? I I thought, well, this is a good idea. Let's do sourdough stuffing. And because nobody was doing that then. And and they were like, You can't use sourdough in stuffing. And I was like, why not? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Like the, the reply guy back in the day. <laughs> Tell me, though, just I, we've been void of food, a little food talk here. So let's get into some of the recipes that you were working on. I mean, uh-huh. in general, was there something that that you that you really feel proud of that you that you did recipe wise? Sure. You know, I think actually it was more like the way you felt about it, not so much individual recipes as stories, because people and that's what we call them. Then now they call them packages. But um, you would work on a story that you were really pleased with both the recipes recipes and the visuals like there was a gelato story and I we did this you know thing we were trying to emulate Italy so we put them in these little cups which were actually like probably either water cups from a doctor's office or something like that because we couldn't get the kind of cups they had in Italy and and I remember like immediately afterwards New York magazine like copied the actual shot like and I thought oh wow you know I was like really happy there are certain photos that we did there was a lot of it's like visual that that still stand up today a lot of the stuff I did with uh, Maria Robledo and um, all these photographers, um, Chris Baker, um, there was a dumpling story I remember that I did with Chris Baker that I love that had, you know, I mean, it was international, which, yeah. you know, now it's a little harder to do that. Right. Um, I mean, there's, some, oh, well, the story that we did in, in Abiquiu, I mean, a lot of times for me, it was also rolled into an experience. Like we went to Abiquiu. That's cool. So you were at Georgia O'Keeffe's kitchen? Well, not Georgia O'Keeffe's, but s- something very similar yeah. nearby, a dirt floor kitchen. I was cooking with David Tannis. Who oh, was, really? Yeah. Out in the New Mexico. He was in his Santa Fe stage. He was yeah. working in a restaurant there and he knew this woman, Elizabeth Barrett who at the time grew heirloom beans. And we went up to her place in Abiquiu and, and did this story. And it was just like, honestly, like one of the best experiences Stuff of like my that life. is really fun. Yeah. I mean, when you get to go on, on location. And you just... don't do, people can't, don't do that anymore. We went on location all the time. We yeah. went camping in the Wind River Range in Wyoming. Yeah. And Martha was there. Martha was on a lot of these shoots. Yeah. She came along. And... I mean, why would she? She's pretty much exacting with the art direction of a magazine. Well, she was there for the fun, honestly. Oh, she was. Let's go there. Like I mean. she Oh yeah, like on 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 that shoot while I was working, she was like taking these rides with people and like I don't know, it was like a hayride or something. They were just like having fun and um Yeah. I guess if your name's in the magazine you could do what you want and Yeah. And why not. Exactly. She would come along and, and just, you know, pose for photos. Yeah. And, yeah. Um yeah. and and have fun like while we were doing some of the hard work. But 
Oh my god. Well, I want to move on because there's a lot to yeah. talk about. We're going to yeah, talk yeah. about Veg Forward your book, but but um let's let's take a little detour to Julie and Julia the film. Yes. Um you worked as a food stylist or the food stylist on that film and other films and did you really teach Meryl Streep to flip an omelet? Is that I did. true? I did, but she's a very quick study, as you can imagine. Yeah, she seems like she's like, probably... I didn't spend much time with her on that. It was literally right before we shot that scene. It's a and... great scene. Very memorable. <laughs> she came into the... Ca- I even have a photo I can show you afterwards yeah. for, of the three, me and Nora and, and, yeah. and Meryl standing there getting ready to do that scene. Um, she, we had a makeshift kitchen, you know, offset. Uh, in a big soundstage, and um, she, uh, when it was time to do it, because, I mean, Meryl knows her way around the kitchen. She knows how to cook, so not like the first time she ever, like, held an omelet pan. And um, so just got everything ready for her. She was in her wardrobe. She was, it was in, well, nearly in character. She stayed in character a lot. But she um, just came back, and I just gave her a couple quick lessons, and... And then she did it. She stuck at the landing right in the first oh, yeah. try. Yeah. Yeah. She's Meryl. Let's talk about that that set. What what were some of the the memorable moments that you were working? You know, I'm sure you had to work in advance uh every day they were oh, shooting yeah. and you're thinking about the next day. What what was that like? Well, it's um when you're the food person, let's say, on a on a film, I mean basically there's it's so complex. Uh the 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 A D is the person who has to basically schedule everything. And a lot of times you'd be all ready for a food scene and then it would get cut because of time. So, I mean, like, for instance, that French onion soup that is, like, really just a montage. It's in a montage. Amazing scene. A very quick... Piles of onions. No, no, no. no. You're thinking of the chopped onions. Oh, I'm thinking of the chopped onions, There's a montage where they go back and forth between um, Julie and Julia Mm -hmm. and they're... They're both making something. One's in a Cuisinart, one's by hand. They're both eating French onion soup. And, you know, the script said, and the cheese stretches from the bowl to her lips. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do that? Because I'm not going to be on set. I had to make it so the cheese was the perfect temperature. Right. And it's I had to use the right kind of cheese yeah. so that this could happen when Amy Adams picked up the spoon. And anyway, we probably prepped that scene like four times, and it kept being the last scene of the night. Oh, and then they'd say— Okay, that's a wrap. <laughs> oh my gosh! So w- w- let me ask you, what is who's the most food obsessed actor you've worked with? Um, obsessed. Yeah, like really, like. Well, Stanley in- comes to mind right away. Stanley too. Yeah, obviously, right? Even though he didn't really do like a lot of the cooking. But he's still know. off set, off mic, or off off camera. He was probably talking about food with you, because like you're you're in the you're in the on set, or you're working the actors, and you're like per, the food person. I'm sure people are attracted to you. They are, <laughs> they want to talk to you. Well, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. I mean, film sets are incredibly busy thing, and everybody's yeah. got their own. Everybody's a cog in the machine, including the actors, right? Yeah, and yeah. they all have to do their job, and you know they often scurry back to their dressing room, and um, but you know I. I did get to, um, I mean, Meryl, I don't know. I don't know about obsessed, but Meryl, because I did also work with her on It's Complicated. Yeah. And we, because we had already worked together on a movie and on this set, her little dressing room was actually right next to my little kitchen. So I got to interact a lot more with her because her door would be open and her makeup artist would be in there. And then I'd say, oh, do you want a piece of salmon for lunch? That kind of thing. Cool, so fun. We were a lot closer on It's Complicated after. What having, other films have you worked on? Um, I worked on. 
um, Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. And, Heard of it. I mean, pretty <laughs> pretty big book. Pretty pretty good movie, right? Yeah. Decent I, movie. Yeah, I mean. It, <laughs> we don't need to do film hour here. <laughs> it had its. It wasn't wonderful. I mean, it was. It was good. I mean, I enjoyed watching it, but it, it didn't do as. It wasn't as yeah. critically acclaimed, right. As the other two, which I think were huge hits. Yeah. So, so what were you doing at Ypres Love? We were in Rome for three weeks and Naples at the end for a few days, which was just you know a lot of fun, but also hard work because we were working. Um, like in the streets of Rome yeah. and in restaurant kitchens, just literally running from one restaurant to the to the next. I had a, ref, a, a refrigerated truck. I did not have a kitchen wow. home base. So, and I some sometimes they'd say, "Oh yeah, there's there's a kitchen. It's about two hundred meters away." And I was like, "I don't really know how far a meter is." <laughs> and I'd be yeah. like, "This is like a block or two yeah, away. That's not close. Far, yeah. Like so, what a producer says is close. Right, right. And what is what you need to be close are two very different things. So, um, it was challenging, but but fun. And it was really, really hot in Rome when we were there. We were there in August, so it, it definitely had its challenges. But looking back, it was a fun experience because just fun to be able to spend that much time in Rome. For I mean, one thing. completely. But also, uh, you know, working with the actors there, were you were you doing some some teaching? Teaching Not how to cook a little so bit. much because they were eating more than cooking, yeah. you know. So Julie and Julia and a little bit on It's Complicated, there were more hands-on. I mean, everybody knows how to eat, yeah. right? Um, not everyone knows how to cook. So honestly, it was mostly Amy Adams on Julie and Julia who needed instruction because she was doing the most yeah. in the kitchen. Um, Meryl did some. Um, but she did more eating than cooking, if you yep. really look at the scenes. Yep, yep, um, yep. I also worked on a film called Labor Day, which was by Jason Reitman, and that was a fun experience. It was all about pie, and it was okay. with um, it was with uh, Kate Winslet. Yeah, and um, Susan, you like work with some heavy. I have worked like, like with the Oscars. He's like an Oscar yeah, winning, absolutely. But like you're you're working with like real like talented. Yeah, no. for sure. But they're just like us. <laughs> Truly, do you uh, do you want to work on more film? I mean, it's definitely a vibe to work on film. Um, I probably won't do a lot more. Um, just because I'm those were like. I mean, 2008, 2009. Yeah, no, you know, exactly. Physically, it gets a little harder as you get older Definitely. to do 14-hour days and work until 1 in the morning. Um, but I actually worked on the the Julia Child... Um, TV show? No, the doc. Oh, cool. Right. Yeah, there yeah. was a doc that came out in um, by Betsy West and... Yeah. And Julie Cohen that came out in, well, we shot it during the pandemic. We were supposed to shoot it right before the pandemic yep. in March. And then uh, that got canceled. <laughs> I know. I remember that came out and it was a challenging release because of the, the you know, the pandemic time. Exactly. So then we got back. We we did it in ju that July, which when you think back to the early days of the pandemic, that seems like a long time. That seems pretty early, which it was. But so, you know, we had to wear masks all day yeah. on set and nobody got sick and all that. It's a we great documentary. I've watched it. There's a lot of Julia content out oh, there. Oh, so much. <laughs> a little bit overkill, but I mean, yeah. it's, 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 I guess the series is coming back. All right, Susan, yeah. let's talk about Veg Forward. Okay. The name says a lot, but it also says, um, it says a little, I mean, it says both because I think it's broad, but it's also narrow. Right. I guess my first question is, do we need another vegetable cookbook? Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Why? Of course. Well, I mean, I feel like there's an evolving uh, kind of philosophy, first of all, Perfect. around 
cooking with vegetables um, because I think more and more people, uh, you know, do love vegetables, but also really want to eat less meat and eat more vegetables and maybe sometimes need a little bit of help beyond just slicing up a tomato or throwing some zucchini on the grill. So, um, you know, I feel like my book is really a guide for like the CSA user, the farmer's market frequenter. Uh, totally. You know, of like, what do I do with this stuff? That was really like where I, my angle on it. And there's, there's tiny bits of meat, a couple, in a, like two or three recipes in the book because I eat meat, but I eat less meat all the time. And I like eating in vegetarian restaurants. And yeah, um, it's all makes a lot of sense. And, and, and really it, it's such a dynamic book. I mean, I love that tomato tart on the cover. I love that, that shot. It's beautiful. And um, I guess what, we're, we're recording in, in mid-August and we're, we're just right. approaching tomato season. Right. What are we forgetting with tomatoes? Like, what are we forgetting? Yeah, like there's got to be – we got these beautiful tomatoes. We're at the farmer's market paying a princely sum for them. <laughs> um, I think the instinct is to like, you know, slice them and eat them with cheese or eat yeah. them with, with basil. But like what – there's, there's a lot more going oh, on. Oh, yeah. Tomato. Well, I've like – I actually really – tried to do a lot of zucchini and tomato in the book. So I, yeah. I mean, I did, uh, you know, a stuffed, a, to, a rice stuffed tomato, which I really enjoy. Very fun. Um, it's got, you know, it's really like a classic Provencal take, but it has, uh, and it, I shouldn't say, but it has, but, and it has oil cured olives in it, which gives it all this flavor. And it's a great like vegetarian main course yeah. and a make ahead one too. Um, they even taste good the next day. And, you know, because I, I don't believe that tomatoes need much cooking. That's partly why I chose to do my heirloom tomato yeah. tart. There's a lot of them out there with just raw sliced tomatoes. So really it's – I didn't want to cook them because I just don't think that's the best thing to do with heirloom tomatoes. I agree so. fully. It, it definitely let, the, let, it, let it speak. Yeah. So yeah. it's like basically like a big savory cookie with a layer of creamy cheese, yeah. like goat cheese and ricotta mixed together and spread on it like – frosting and then it's like a tomato salad on top of that so it's really easy to put together and very delicious I, I love it and speaking of tomatoes we often overlook the last recipe in a cookbook but <laughs> i wanted to feature yours it's on page 227 and it's for tomato water <laughs> let's talk about that let's give that a little shine the tomato water what are you sure. doing with tomato water well well for one thing when you have all those expensive heirlooms it's a really great way to save your scraps you throw them in the freezer or if you have a garden that is just giving too many tomatoes, you take all those tomatoes, throw them in the freezer. There's more than one way to make tomato water. And so I heard someone refer to it like as like this dated like 90s thing or something. The 90s are back. <laughs> let's, let's go there. I mean, come on. I don't really think something that tastes – I, I kind of hate when things are cool or not cool. Right. It's you know? the worst with it's food. It's like with food, right? It's like uh, if it tastes good, eat it, right? Um, so I – Wanted to do something with tomato water because I do think it's a great zero-waste solution. Plus, it is so magically delicious if you've never tasted it. I mean, look, if you've ever made, like, gazpacho and you just let it sit in the fridge, you're going to maybe get a layer of clear stuff at the bottom. That is tomato water. So all you're trying to do is separate that pure tomato It Essence. looks like nothing. Yeah. It tastes like everything. That's why it's a visual trick. 
And it's beautiful to to play that trick on it your is. your guests. And all you need to do is put a little bit of salt and pepper, a little bit of olive oil, or not even pepper, just salt and olive oil, and it becomes this like magical elixir. It's just <laughs> so good. So um, I just really wanted to teach people how to make that and utilize that. It's used in two recipes in the book: the tomato water lemonade, which is great either wow. virgin or with a shot of gin or vodka. Really good. I served that at one of my uh, signing events, and people loved it. It was delicious. And um, and then there's a salad with. Uh, it's kind of a between a soup and a salad. It's got sliced um, watermelon, tomatoes, cucumbers, herbs, jalapeno, and then the tomato water broth. I oh call my! It. These are like like listeners. Susan's ideas here are these are big ideas, and and just like you're you're humble and modest about the the ingenuity, I guess, of your recipe mm. development. It's really good stuff. Thank you. Big fan of your books and. I, I will link to in the show notes how to buy the book, but I'm I'm definitely feeling like when I asked you the question about do we need another vegetable cookbook, I, you do because it's like you're breaking it up by seasons, right. and I think we all could cook with more vegetables. Absolutely, and I really tried to keep the recipes very simple. I didn't want things to get um, like contrived or overthought. I really wanted it to be like you could go to the farmer's market, come home, and make something like yeah. right away. Yeah. Switching gears, I yeah. wanted to ask you about your famous sister, Nancy Spungen, who died tragically in 1978. She was the famous partner of Simon John Ritchie, known as Sid Vicious. He's the nihilist basis of the Sex Pistols. We all know the story of Sid and Nancy. Right. And I wanted to ask you, and, and thank you for sharing this about your sister, mm-hmm. and I'd like to know, I mean, first off, is there something we we don't know about your sister? Um, that she was a human being? <laughs> Wonderful. Exactly. (laughs) Because I think a lot of people, especially when they become notorious, which is, I won't say famous. She probably wanted to be famous, but she ended up notorious. Um, Is that, you know, people don't realize she's somebody's sister, somebody's daughter, not not somebody's mother in this case. But, you know, she's a human being who... um, you know, maybe made a few missteps in her life, um, or maybe it ended exactly as she wanted it to. I'm, I don't know, but um, I think that's the thing I always think people overlook is that she's a human being, and I can tell that by the way over the years people have said to me, you know, oh, is that your sister? Or and then if I say yes, they say, no way. <laughs> yeah, it gets a bit of a shock, and and also. It doesn't really get much further than that, I'm sure, for some people. Right. And it's like, well, do you think someone just, like, left her under a cabbage leaf? It's like she had a family, you know? <laughs> she had a family. She also had a life. I mean, she was a, a huge influential person in the music industry. Well, do you think so? Well, I saw Pistol. I want to ask you about that. Did you watch Pistol? I didn't, oh, actually. No. I actually remember hearing about it coming out, and then I forgot about it, and I didn't hear much about it. I will watch it at some point. I think a lot of people did forget about it. Uh, I think Danny <laughs> Boyle did, did was a producer and, and directed a couple of the episodes. It was very strange uh, d- choices with the actual shooting of it, but it's really good, I think. And your sister is portrayed uh, by a young British actress, I believe. I don't think she's American. She's a British actress, actually, but very... Very interesting portrayal, but huh. but let me ask you just a little bit more about your sure. sister. I mean, uh, when when you were growing up, did you know she left in New York young? But did you let's rem- let's remember her as the yeah. human in person sure. she is. Well, I mean, she pa- she died. I don't say passed away when someone dies violently because I think that's not really appropriate. But yeah. when she died, um, I was eighteen years old, so I was at a very kind of important sort of developmental crossroads yeah. in my own life. And I, I literally, um, she died after in my in my first 
uh, month of college. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, that's partly why I think I've had, it does relate. I, I, I've originally said this isn't relevant, but it is relevant to my career yeah. because I think it put, it, it, it sort of influenced the circuitous route that I ended up taking to what I ultimately ended up doing because I, I was just like, it really threw me off balance. I dropped out of college in the middle of my junior year because I never really caught up from all the incompletes I had yeah. from my first semester. And it was just very, it was a little hard to focus. And also like culturally, everybody was really into punk. And I was like thinking I can't be into punk because yeah. it killed my sister. And, um, so, I mean, growing up, like, you know, she was a bit of a problem child. So she didn't actually live at home after I was, like, in maybe uh, fifth grade. She was in a boarding school. So um, for, I mean, at that time, what they called emotionally disturbed children. Yeah. I don't know, you know, what they call what, them. What, you know, now it's a, it's there's a little more sensitivity for these. Well, right. Or they have, it, there's a little more nuance in, nuance. like, what, yeah. and, and maybe ways of um, dealing with, helping kids who are having trouble fitting in or, you know, and that that's what I would say she was from a pretty young age, like just never quite fit in. Yeah. And then she did find a place where she fit in. She did. She did. So what was food like growing up in Philly for you? <laughs> um, you know, pretty normal. I grew up in the suburbs. Um, you know, my mom did cook despite the fact that she um, also worked. Um, she always, you know, made an, a good effort to get dinner on the table. And even when she was uh, working full time, she actually left it to me to complete dinner uh, along with some written instructions, if I could understand. Real latchkey kid kind of oh, upbringing. total latchkey kid. Yeah. My brother and I, because my sister was not living at home. Mm -hmm. So my brother and I, uh, I did most of the cooking because I was the older one. And um, yeah, we had fun being latchkey kids. Yeah. <laughs> but we never got into the, the, the same kind of trouble that my sister did. You know, yeah. we, we knew where to draw the line. And uh, that's the that's the difference, I think, with people who are troubled is they they don't have that impulse control and they don't know where to stop and they just keep going. Like my brother and I, yeah, we experimented and dabbled, but yeah. we we always stayed on, you know, the right side. And the 70s, the, late 70s, is, yes. a, this is, a, this is an interesting time in our history. I mean, yeah. it's very, like a lot of trauma in our in our post-Vietnam and, and just like a lot going on in the culture. Yeah. And food, back to food. So yeah, I cooked, you know, I, I was always interested. I love baking. So I would pull books off the shelf. We had cookbooks in the house. The two that I remember using was McCall's, which for those who are too young, was a magazine. Yeah. And it was like one of their collected things. 40 million subscribers yeah. at some point. So McCall's was where I got all my cookies and cakes. And then Craig Claiborne's New York Times cookbook, which is where I got all my savory recipes. So Amazing. Um, and my brother and I, like we both liked cooking. He ended up being in finance, but he's actually sort of do, combining finance and food now. And he went to the Culinary Institute. We, we used to say, oh, we'll open a restaurant someday. That was like our dream until yeah. we realized that was a terrible dream. Yeah. Um, and also saved you like a lot of heartache and, and your bank account as well. <laughs> exactly. So luckily we never did that. Yeah, totally. Um, on This Is Taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. Yeah. So Susan, to close this interview, yeah. here's a little rapid fire, <laughs> fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? Okay. The best AM pastry with coffee. Um, I'm going to have to go with the cardamom buns at, at La Cabra because it's right down the street from, and that's what I crave. Oh, you're East Village person? Yeah. Oh, psh, come on. That's yeah. the best. Good call. Yeah. The best dessert. Um, best dessert I think is lemon meringue pie. 
100% agree. <laughs> I love that. I mean, so what makes the lemon curd great? Well, actually, a traditional recipe isn't actually curd. It's usually yeah. like a cornstarch mixture. But I just love lemon desserts over all desserts. And as a kid, I really loved lemon meringue pie. That was like hands down so my favorite, favorite dessert. The best bread? Um, the one that I make myself. <laughs> great. Your favorite dinner party dish to make as a host? Uh, okay, I'm going to have to say some classic braise like Boeuf Bourguignon or Coco Vin because it's always so good and it's easy to do ahead of time. Your favorite dinner party dish to bring as a guest? I'm going to say some kind of like a dip, like a baba ganoush or something. Love that. <laughs> Absolute essential bottle of booze to have on hand? Oh, uh, well, Aperol. The most underrated piece of kitchen equipment? Uh, I'm going to say, uh, I don't know if it's underrated, but a mandolin. 100% agree. I mean, those things are scary, <laughs> but not scary if you use it enough. Exactly. Or, or use it correctly. correctly. I use the glove. And also as a food stylist, you got to have a mandolin because you, you can't. Everyone should. Everyone should have one. We had a shoot recently that the stylist didn't use the mandolin, and you could tell, and you know, it happens. Got to get that mandolin. Yeah. Your favorite cookbook of all time? Oh, my favorite. Oh, gosh. You know. It's got to be an old one. Yeah. Weirdly, the first thing that pops into my head is Cucina Fresca, because I think that was like a really fantastic book in its day yeah. um, by Viana Laplace and Evan Kleinman, um, because it was really kind of revolutionary, and it really um, taught me something. It was so simple. Sometimes I'd look at the recipes, and I'd be like, is that even a recipe? You know, but it taught me how to um, be uh, sort of reductive and... Um, how to not overdo things. So smart. And I think, I mean, Evan is a great yeah. cookbook author yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Super good. Uh, do you have a favorite recent cookbook discovery? Hmm. Well, I really like that Day of the Dead cookbook. Oh, cool. I don't know. If you, I don't know this one. Yeah, it came out last year and I actually haven't had a chance to use it yet, but I really love uh, Mexican cooking. I yeah. love learning more about how to do different things. Yeah. And um, it's just, it also has really cool photography and uh, it's a really cool book. Your dream cookbook project? Well, to be honest, and it really plays into a lot of what we've been talking about here, I've really wanted to do like a memoir with cookies, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Because the cookies have always like punctuated some of the big, I mean, since we talked about Sid and Nancy, actually, if you look at my Substack newsletter, you'll see that early on I wrote the story about how I made chocolate chip cookies for them. And cookies were one of the first things I did with Martha. Yeah, exactly. And then I did that big piece in the New York Times. And so cookies have always been sort of there throughout all these crazy periods of my life. So I would like to someday write a memoir and, you know, like in like Water for Chocolate, every yeah. chapter can have a, a cookie recipe. I mean, it, it is full circle. And, and I, I think cookies are a great um, vehicle with recipes. So yeah. I, I hope I hope to read that one day. Yeah, thanks. The last one, your favorite sandwich. Oh, my favorite sandwich. I actually really love sandwiches. I know not everyone feels that way, but I, I'm going to go back to food because there were a couple of sandwiches that we made there. And one of them, I mean, this isn't like my favorite, favorite of all time, but when I think about, like, I still have memories of like biting into this. We made a uh, a smoked mozzarella sandwich and the smoked mozzarella came from that little place on Thompson Street that's not there anymore. Tomatoes, onions, 
olive oil on a baguette. It was just like a really simple but delicious sandwich. It sounds great. And like back then, we're thinking about late 80s. Smokes mozzarella isn't everywhere. Isn't no, like at the tip of everyone's absolutely tongue. Absolutely not. And we would get it warm. I didn't mention oh, wow. that. We would get it warm straight out of the smoker because, you know, food was actually pretty into localism, right? So we got Vesuvio oh, yeah. bread and we, everything was from places in the neighborhood. And I'm I'm forgetting the name of the famous mozzarella place. Yeah, on Sullivan or Thompson. Yeah, Sullivan. Sullivan, Sullivan. Near Houston. I know it. It would come in warm, and it was so good like that. I'd love to talk to you more about food. It's just... It, it, it has a lot of history there. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's a lot of written about it, but I'd love to love to have you back. Sure. I'd love to be back. Susan Spungen, thank you so much for joining This Is Taste. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. This Is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.